This is the Pro Wrestling Reflection Podcast with your host, the professor, Chao Bello Veracruz. Mr. Wonderful, Tommy Wonder. And I will take the powers of those that have no fear. And the prodigal one, JB. The queen. The queen of the crop. Now it's time to go back in time in the time machine. Well, we're not there yet, but happy Halloween. We're so close. I can, you can smell it. Can you smell it? I can smell it. Can you smell those, uh, those chocolate candies, the Kit Kats, the Hershey's Kisses, the, the, the Junior Mints? I don't know what, what people leave on their doorsteps and give out to the kids, but you know what? I'm going to be dressed. I got my Biden mask and I got my uh, Trump mask. I'm going as Two-Face. So either you're going to give me some candy or I'm going to demand it with the Gestapo, uh, agencies i got you know i got the army i got the navy i got everybody on my side to get you're gonna give me some damn candy that's all that matters to me i don't care what it is because i love them sweets and before tw even says anything remotely that i'm gay here when i say i like sweets that's neither here nor there this is the halloween edition of the pwr podcast here at the pwsm networks at podbean.com and before i even introduce myself before i introduce my partner in crime i just want to give a shout out because i always keep saying this is your PWR podcast. The ref- this is your show, Reflectionites. This is your show, Magnificent Seven, Elite Eight, Naughty Nine, Terrific Ten, The Essential Eleven. This is your show to the PWCites. This is your show to the Big Beatites. So I got to give a shout out to to the person that gave me the idea, and that is Greenpeace, aka the Iron Lung. I get well. Why is he called the Iron Lung? Because he has listened to this show, and I've always called T.W. the Iron Stomach. So since he's Greenpeace, he is the Iron Lung. And he slid into the DMs of the professor. He said, you know, I like the shows. Shut up here. Shut up. I don't like that shit. But anyway, <laughs> he slid into the DMs. He said he loves the show. He loves T.W. He loves the stories about the his wrestling past. He loves his insights about AEW. He just said, and I love all the, the spotlights you do. He loves the tat. He loves all the titles. He loves all the smile. He likes the movies and all that stuff. But he asked me a question, and I that was kind of dumbfounded, T.W. He said, why didn't you ever do a spotlight on the steel cage match? And I, I thought about that. I looked in the mirror. I looked at myself, and I said, yeah, we've never really done the concept of the steel cage match. So, you know, this is the green piece. He gave me the idea. And since it is Halloween Eve, or we're close to that, Hallow's Eve, whatever the case may be, Greenpeace, 
One one on one. Well, I don't know what one, that means. One week. One week away. Oh, either way. Either way. Neither here nor there. But anyway, you this on Halloween. Well, who cares? Uh, you know, I, I'm a, well. We might be off on Sunday because I'm gonna be on trick or treating. You're gonna be trick or treating yes, anyway. Yes. Here, yes. Neither here nor there. But anyway, Greenpeace gave me the idea, so I wanted to give that concept. Very, I want to give the shout out to Greenpeace, the Iron Lung one. So it's his idea, his concept. So this is the PWR podcast. This is the Pro Wrestling Spotlight, the Steel Cage Carnage here at the PWL Network at Podbeam.com. And I like to introduce myself. Because I am vain like that. I am that magnanimous one. I am that scholarly one. I'm the studious one. But most importantly, I'm the glorious one. The only objective man here in the IWCYWC. The only objective man in this podcast punditry. Your friend and mine, the Professor Chabelle Cruz. And of course, with me by my side, he's the iron stomach one. Not the iron lung one. The iron stomach one. He is the idiot of the dumb dumb duos. He is the conservative liberal, the liberal conservative. Your friend of mine, Mr. Wonderful, Tommy Strong, aka the Tommy Wonder. How are you doing, my friend? What are what is your costume gonna be when we get to Hallows Week, Halloween? You know, last year I went as Macho Man. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know what I'm gonna do. I really I do one day. I, I'm so freaking fed up with being cold here. I think I'm gonna wait until I'm actually a Floridian. Which mm-hmm. hopefully is five, five, six years from now. Um, I'm gonna either get in shape, and I'm gonna take one of them belts right there, mm-hmm. that one right there, and I'm gonna get me a nice big ass wig with some Aquanet, and I'm gonna mm-hmm. get a bodysuit <laughs> and spray paint the Warrior logo, and I'm gonna be the Warrior. This version. Where's he at? The '92 cir- circa version, where he had the bodysuit and the and the looking like he uh, he had muscles when he wasn't. No, 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 not that one. Oh, okay. Well, this isn't a good version of it because the other version's on my wall, but it's kind of this version, but where he painted it on his chest, the logo mm-hmm. on his chest. I thought that was the WrestleMania match, but this is the yeah. WrestleMania. WrestleMania six. He painted it on his yeah. chest. I want to be that warrior. Um, mm-hmm. That version. Look at that guy. But but you live in Michigan and you never. Oh, JYD, Junkyard Dog. And it's but you live in the, blue. But you live. But you live in the Michigan area where the weather is never cooperative for you. So you cannot no. be the ultimate you warrior. Know, I was just telling the customer the other day. I said, you know, when I was a kid trick or treating, I remember sweating my ass off, just being hot mm-hmm. as shit. And I'm. Mm-hmm. I haven't had a Halloween as an adult yet where I felt that way. But I think as you're a kid, you're exciting, you're hyperventilating in those cheap rubber. You remember the costumes we wore? They were just one big plastic apron, mm-hmm. basically, with Frankenstein's body painted on it. And then you had that stupid plastic mask with string. And that everyone's costume was made the same. And you, everyone got them at Kmart or a knockoff of Kmart. And that was that. Mm-hmm. And uh, just dying out there. And now, man, it's not. it's cold before Halloween. Like today was cold. Like I told you before we recorded, it started off 45 degrees. You can kind of hear it in my voice. Uh, I got a sore throat. I've been feeling a little under the weather the last couple of days because the last couple of days I've wore pants because mm-hmm. I saw the weather. Otherwise, I'd be wearing shorts out there freezing my ass off. But here's the problem. I'm better off freezing my ass off because when I wear pants because it's 45 at the start of the day, then when mm-hmm. it hits 75, I'm regretting the fact that I'm wearing pants. Today, I took the jacket off. Yesterday, I kept it on all day, so you end up sweating, 
coming out of people's houses and the sweat freezes to your face, even though it's not freezing, but, you know, 50 degrees, sweating is not very fun to do when you go back out in the 50 degrees. It's chilly. Absolutely not. And all day long, and then you just feel like ass for a good week. So Mm -hmm. every day God's giving me signs that I need to move to Florida. So, uh, JB, we'll find your ass, and I'm going to ask you. I I know I don't want to live in Miami. Miami is a place that has two types of people. You ready? Okay. Tourists and strippers that think they're going to meet and marry a professional athlete. And some of them do. Some of them do. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's that's what's there. The locals that, are, that, are... That's how you lie and say you were actually a professional athlete and marry the right? stripper and then I'm lie to carry her. carry pictures of me with the title belts for, throughout my career you, for the Iron Lung. I'm going to say, this is what made the Iron Lung a fan right here. There you go. And this is where you can go and say, I'm an AEW wrestler. With the belt. And they won't even know the difference. The strippers won't know the Ooh, difference. I can have my friend make me a shirt that says Tommy Wonder is AEW. There you go. That, that was all that elite. Would be all a elite. Cool heel turn. There you go. You need a Tommy oh. Wonder is all elite. But anyway, again, we are doing That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. See, I, I might I, happen. I'm the professor. I'm the glorious one. I have these thoughts in my head. But anyway, let's get into this special spotlight TW. It is gonna be a nice nostalgic uh, time machine running episode here because, you know, we're going to go from the past to the present to the future because let me add, let me start by this. Since you are the wrestler, how did you did you fight in some steel cage matches in your illustrious career? You know, it's well, funny because it's on the card. Oh, definitely on the card. Uh, matter of fact, recently, uh, 2000, probably... 15 the year before i went and saw travis um in in north dakota was the last year he came to the reunions in lima they had a double cage scaffold match that year no 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 it was a single gate single cage scaffold match the year before they had a double cage match in lima ohio if if you listen to this and you're anywhere near it I, i think rick vickery is close enough that he could, I think he's been to war wrestling shows, but mm-hmm. it's it's okay. the best wrestling in Ohio, you know. I, and I say that with some partiality, uh, but the fact that I've not heard of anything else down there being run, having at even remotely the uh, the amount of shows or the amount of fans that come to those shows, um, mm-hmm. I've been there as a wrestler. I've been there as a guy going back to visit. I've gone there just to hang out, even when it wasn't a Hall of Fame show or whatnot. And, and it's always it, it was. Hands down, my favorite town to wrestle in when I wrestled, Taylor, Michigan being a close second. and Or actually, Taylor uh, Taylor would probably be a 1B to Lima's 1A, and then LaSalle, Ontario would be 1C. Because, I mean, is, I love wrestling and all. Is that still war wrestling, wrestling, or that's different? No, no, no. War Wrestling's oh. Lima, uh, mm-hmm. MTW, which was Midwest Territorial Wrestling, which oh, okay. Los Ritos renamed Mexican Territorial Wrestling. And then mm-hmm. uh, BCW, which is Scott DeMore's promotion, is LaSalle, Ontario. So LaSalle, Ontario, and Lima have a lot in common in the fact that they're small towns, and they cheer the good guy, they boo the bad guy. So that's always, always, always my preference, right? Mm-hmm. I wasn't a heel that wanted to go out there and get cheered. I wasn't a heel that – I wanted to sell merch, you know, but I was ahead of my time. I No one was selling merch when I was wrestling yet. It wasn't until the end, and then you, you learn the sideway, the side note, you learn the hard way – 
when you make merch, you end up giving it to the boys more than you sell it because everyone's like, I want a shirt, I want a shirt. And they give you theirs, so you give them your, like almost like swapping jerseys at the NFL, end of a NFL game. But Taylor was different in the fact that they cheered the heels and booed the bad guys. And I think I told you this before. Um, John Muse told me when we started as a heel, we would be faces by the third month. And I was like, what? And he nailed it. They were cheering us by the end of the second month. The third mm-hmm. month was the big blow-off against the baby faces, and they cheered us when we won. So we ended up being baby faces. And so uh, with Lima, they have cage matches. They have gimmick matches. They have a scaffold in the cage match. But the funny thing about it is, as you're doing your intro, I'm thinking, holy shit, I've never been in a cage match. Not once. I've been in oh, ladder wow. matches. I've been in uh, matches that were the, the ultimate. I forget what the guy called them. The ultimate. What is my battery dying on my iPad? What's happening here? No, you're good. You're good. No, it's Biden. dim for some reason. But um, I was in a match where it started off as a battle royal with mm-hmm. an odd amount of people. And once one guy got eliminated, it turned into a five-on-five match like Survivor Series, except for once that guy got eliminated, turned, eliminated and it was nine guys, it turned into – it actually might have been nine guys down to eight, and then eight to seven became a ladder match. Then it became mm-hmm. a falls count anywhere match. Then it became something else match. Then it became a two out of three falls match between the last two guys. So it was called the ultimate ultimate or something. It, they never did it twice because it was way too confusing. I mm-hmm. I wrestled uh, Edge and his partner Sexton Hardcastle, or he was Sexton Hardcastle, Joey Legend in a, a tornado match where it was me and Edge most of the match fighting each other and Rico and Legend fighting each other until we all got back in there together before. In the dark, because the power was out in the building, and we're smashing each other with pop cans. You would have liked it. It was ECW style, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But never did a cage match. But the double cage that they did in Lima, the cages weren't the same. So Mm -hmm. imagine seeing what I like to call, I think I told Travis I called it this, I call it the AIDS quilt of steel cage matches because it was all different panels. And I think they tied them together. And when Mm -hmm. this guy, Matt Mason, I love the guy. He ended up retiring a year later. The guy was, he's great, man. Uh, Matt Mason's name is Matt Appleton in real life, but he just, he'd had enough. And I just, unfortunately, I met him when he was already doing it for about five, 10 years, which was the amount of time it had been since I'd been down to Lima. Um, and he just had the look, uh, and he just, he had the charisma. He looked like John Cena, to be honest with you, but could, no offense, John, but c- could wrestle, you know, like mm-hmm. he, you know, Whoa, had that, that, and, that hurt, that hurt the professor, but go ahead, no, go no, ahead. no. I think John Cena can work, you know, mm-hmm. but I don't think he cares that you're not going to confuse him with Brett or Sean. Right. Of you course, know, of course, of course. matter of fact, he had a great match with Sean at WrestleMania. So I think he'd take that over, you know, no offense to Matt Mason, his, his his career but mm-hmm. he did a, a high cross body off the top of this cage onto like five dudes at the bottom because i think it was like a war games type match it wasn't just one-on-one but mm-hmm. then jock sampson and if you listen to show and you like the iwiwc jock sampson look for him on facebook he's a really 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 good dude uh he has it he's a throwback guy he's definitely southern wrestling style um mm-hmm. tons of charisma he wrestled dusty dillinger who was who uh, Pizza Bob, me and me and Matt called, or Travis called him, because that's what everyone called him. He was he owned a pizzeria there, and he ended up getting into business after me and Travis moved on. And uh, they wrestled each other in a scaffold match that was a cage match, and it was it was fun to see. But I I I, I was stunned to sit here and listen to you talk and realize, wow, I never. Maybe I do have to have one more match, and I got to go have a cage match with somebody. One more match. One more <laughs> match. One more match. 
Well, yeah, you know, it, it is, it is, well, it is nuts, or maybe you were just lucky. I mean, you did business yeah. the way for yourself. <laughs> I, I wasn't volunteering for one, I can tell you that, but as I, a I, fan, I can... growing up, I'm sure I would have been all in when it, when, when I did it, I'd have been like, yeah, because it would have probably been the main event, you know, which mm-hmm. I did a ton of main events, not pat myself on the back, but on an indie level, I was in the main event as, as a tag team wrestler, as a singles wrestler, I, I did it, so I don't, I think that's probably why it never crossed my mind that I didn't do a cage match. Because I've done elimination matches. I, you know, I've done... I, that is I mean, that is your wrestling bucket list. A cage yeah, match. I if you ever believe it. I didn't do a cage match. That's nuts. Well, before anything, TW, let, let's get into the semantics or the logistics of a steel cage match here on Steel Cage Carnage on the Spotlight Edition. We know that the evolution of the steel cage match has grown. From when you and I were kids. Because back when you and I were kids, let's say the 70s and maybe the 80s and early 90s, no matter what organization you was, the steel cage match was meant to be the ultimate, ultimate blow-off to end a particular feud. There was, you know, you couldn't have this match. Well, let me let me just let me rephrase it because sometimes people will say, "Oh, wait a minute, Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair fought in many steel cage matches." Yes, they <laughs> tore they toured the country and fought in multiple cage matches on house shows. TW, we know this, we know this as fans, but that was a reason for that for, to get asses in seats. So, TW, let's educate these reflectionites. You know, in your youngum days, what did the cage match mean to you when you saw it on TV or did you, when you paid a ticket? in the Michigan area? Uh, you know, it, it, it was scary to me. Like, like perfect example, my, my stories are always going to involve Hogan, if you're asking me as a kid. And mm-hmm. the first one I remember distinctly was Bundy. And I thought, oh, he's done. I didn't realize it was there to stop Stud and Heenan and whoever else was in the Heenan family at the time from interfering mm-hmm. with, with uh, Hogan because they did such a good job of selling it as a savage match, like the barbaric barbarity. Is that a word? The, the barbarics, barbarics of it. Um, and he had the broken ribs. Don Morocco, he, he helped and he wasn't even in the Heenan family. Oh, you're, he was, you're, ta- who, you're talking about WrestleMania too. Right. Bundy, but Hogan, the main yeah. event, it was Morocco holding Hogan in the corner. So yeah. Bundy could keep splashing them. And then, and, and was the avalanche the splash in the corner or the, the actual splash. I think it was the splash in the corner. Well, they kind of slipped the tongue. Because he hit Avala- him and then he yeah. crumbled to the ground. Mm-hmm. So it was an yeah. avalanche. Um, but I always thought, man, this is it. This is it. And um, But oddly enough, the hindsight where they would show you old stuff like Snooka Morocco or, you know, we watched for preparing for this, Backlund and Snooka where Snooka was the heel. Um, the babyface almost always won. Right, mm-hmm. but you don't think that when you're watching your guy in the now. Uh, perfect example is one of the ones you had me watch was Austin um, Idol versus Lawler, and and so there was a lot of uh, rules was in that. A, they... Was a feud. Uh, Tommy Rich looked like uh, J Double J out of shape. I didn't realize it was Tommy <laughs> Rich. Then mm-hmm. some girl tries hopping in the ring, and there's like. 17 police officers. I don't know if they're part of like an undertaker gimmick or if they're actually security stopping this girl from getting in the ring and Tommy Rich is daring her. But that whole thing was laid out. Lawler had never lost a hair match and he's in this cage match and he loses it because that's the, I think that's my problem with the cage matches as a kid because everyone was designed to keep the other guys out to make it fair. And every one of them ended with the Mm -hmm. guys getting in there anyway. So I, I think in hindsight, I hated them, 
now as an adult watching them back now they're pretty uh one dimensional they're not they're not as entertaining i think as i thought they were when i was a kid when my guy won when my guy lost not so much it's interesting you say that because let's say when we were kids the cage match had a big fight feel you know if it was for the title or it was just to end this feud but it was a big fight feel and you know since we are fans for going on 40 years we have seen a cage match we've seen the war games we've seen tower of doom we've seen thunderdome We've seen Hell in a Cell, Elimination Chamber. They've upped the ante so much that it's not a big fight. They have to make the big fight feel even bigger, but then they overthink it. Is that a great assessment, or do you have a different take on that? Yeah, I would I would definitely say, yeah, you're, 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 you're I think you're over-expecting it, too. Like, you're expecting <clears throat> some of them are just duds, you know, like, mm-hmm. they're, they're whatever, and, and, like the long argument has always been blue steel cage versus the fence. And the wrestlers will tell you they prefer the fence because it had give and that blue steel cage was unforgiving. But mm-hmm. to watch it, I would prefer watching it in the blue cage because the camera can fit through the hole and you can watch it, you know, or the overhead I, I shot. Think, or- I think the blue cage was actually more fan friendly even in the arena because you can actually see what's going right. on. Because I was, yeah. at, I was at Madison Square Garden for a cage match. I forget. Was it? Was it San Martino and Savage? I think I was there for that one. They were fighting in a cage, and it was the blue steel cage match. And and I didn't have, like, front row. I wasn't sitting ringside. You know, my father could do only so much. But he right. got us good seats enough that when I saw the cage, I saw, it was the blue cage, and you could see what was going on. I think the, the NWA cage, which is looks more realistic, it's the fencing and all that stuff. But, yeah, if you're in the arena, even on TV, it's like, He's on squinting. TV, it comes off terrible because the yeah. lighting hits it and reflects, mm-hmm. so it's even harder right. to see. If you recall, Ricky or Ronnie Garvin won the world title from um, Flair at Cobo Hall in the steel cage, like mm-hmm. you know. And and Cobo Hall was one of the marinas that was dark with only the light on the ring, so it's it almost looks like Quentin Tarantino opening the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. You just mm-hmm. see light; you can't even right. see what's going on in there. But I think if I had my druthers. I would take the blue cage, the WWF cage, with the NWA rules. I always hated guy climbing out or going through the door wins because mm-hmm. two reasons. One, climbing out or going through the door proves it's not keeping anybody out of there if you can right. get out your damn self. And two, it's the coward's way, right? It's why is the guy, you know, I think. No, no, no. If you and I, wait, wait, wait. I have to disagree. Well. I understand what your point is, but in the semantics of WWF wrestling in the cage match for the heat for the hero, going mm-hmm. over the cage was not a coward right. way out. Going over right. that was the, that was the right. noble way. Going through the right. door yeah. was yeah, technically absolutely. the coward's way out. However, the ending of Snooker Backland is brilliant because Snooker does that same Snooker splash that he's known for with mm-hmm. with Morocco that he hits it on him in eighty two. Eighty three. Eighty three. I didn't know he did it before, but he did it oh. to, to Backlund and missed, and a battered, beaten Backlund crawled out, and Snooker still tried. So it saves Snooker. It doesn't make Backlund look like a coward. It makes him look like he took everything he had left from the mm-hmm. ass whooping he took and still was able to get out of it. Like, he still get, had his brain. That. So mm-hmm. I like that finish in that regard. Um, and Hogan climbing over the top, I do remember as a kid thinking, stop showboating, just go through the door. Because if you recall, Orndorff and him had a dead tie 
and Hogan mm-hmm. won on the replay. I think that was Saturday night's main event. Um, yes, it was. But the uh, but I remember being mad at Hogan and thinking, if you'd have lost, it would have been your own fault because you didn't go through the door. <laughs> Whereas mm-hmm. the NWA version, they locked that door. It was never going to get unlocked because you couldn't escape it. And anyone trying to climb that cage, we all know it's e- one of the reasons they made the blue cage, besides for the visual of being able to record the camera through it, was the ability to climb it because it was way hard to climb the mm-hmm. fence cage with those wrestling boots on. So Snooker could do it because he was barefoot. No, I mean, that shit probably hurt. Don't get right. me wrong, but I get but, you. You know, you 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 can't really climb. So the NWA match made more sense. But the thing that I was starting to tell you before we recorded it's just by happenstance because you send me a bunch of matches and I watched them in reverse order. The very first match is the Von Erichs and the Freebirds. I watch the mm-hmm. ring is barely shorter than the cage. The cage is only like if there was a fourth rope, that's how high the cage was. Maybe, mm-hmm. a, maybe a four and a half or five ropes. Um, because I don't so, think, I think, I think that one wasn't at the reunion arena. I think that one was at a Texas fairgrounds. So that's maybe why the ring looks smaller. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm wrong on that. Cage one. was small and, mm-hmm. but it felt more like a hog pen than a steel cage. And that one, I'll tell you what, if any of the boys in the back left the promotion after that match because of nepotism, I would agree with them because <laughs> you start off with Kerry and Kevin versus all three free birds and Kerry gets pinned. And then, mm-hmm. and then P.S. Hayes gets pinned next, and I'm like, if those would have been the last two in there if I was booking, not the first two gone. So now you got Kevin against Gordy and and uh, Buddy Jack. Buddy Roberts, and and it basically, I, I do like how they ended up doing it because he got the upper hand by doing the old duckaroo and then smashing them together and using their own boot. And then mm-hmm. I, I don't know where Mike with the worst tape job ever for a tape-separated shoulder, just comes in and pins Buddy Jack, who fell off the top of the cage. But that cage was so low. Then you have Austin Idol versus... Um... No, wait, I actually watched back... Let, 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 can I just... Let me just interrupt you. Hold your thought a little bit, because I want to do a comparison between WWE and NWA at the time. WWE, let's go with the WWE first. I don't want to... Hopefully, you'll still have your train of thought, but let's go with WWE first. Two guys entered that ring. There is no referee. So the, the ambiance is there that two guys are going to beat the holy hell out of each other. You gave an example of Bob Backlund and uh, Jimmy Snucker. The first cage match that I saw as a kid was actually the Coliseum home video of Hulkamania Volume 1. The first cage match that I saw on TV or on VHS or whatever was Hulk Hogan versus John Studd at the Keel Auditorium in St. Louis. I think that's where it was for Hulkamania Volume 1. So when I look at that match, and you got a six foot eight dude in Hogan and a six ten dude in Stud, you got two barbarians with no referee and, you know, no rules and all this stuff. Yeah, you're right. And sometimes that, you know, whether you go out the, out the door, you know, it's technically what supposedly the cows were out for the heel. The baby face can get a pass on going through the door or going over the top because he's the he's the hero. It doesn't matter. In that match, I saw blood on both. I saw, you know, it was gritty, was methodical, was all that stuff. Now, hindsight, on the NWA side, you just said it. It's better because they have the referee in the ring. You fight, no rules. You can do whatever you want in that cage, but the referee is there to solidify a three count. The first cage match I saw... Again, it was a VHS. It was actually going backwards 
it was the flair for the gold, Starcade 83. <laughs> I saw, I re-watched it with Ric Flair, you know, going and regaining the NWA Heavyweight Championship from Harley Race. Now, as a young kid, you see Ric Flair being the hero there. He's bleeding, you know, how the crimson red. He's a blonde, he's a blonde man, but then he's a red, you know, he's a redhead after the match. And everybody celebrates and all that stuff. Now, when I'm older, I, I take what you keep saying, and sometimes it looks a little bit more predictable and all that stuff. They call it a flair for the gold, but I thought that was there was my there was like, ooh, you don't know. You just it's that little ten percent <laughs> doubt. You just don't know if Flair is gonna achieve that dream. And the match was okay, I, I guess, for the for the ambiance of Charlotte, North Carolina, and all that stuff. But T.W. you did talk about it a little bit with the differences and you even mentioned the Freebirds and the Von Erics and their match kind of goes with the NWA rules there's a referee in there they were part of the NWA system so they have to have the referee in there so I just wanted to use those parallels for all the reflection as how different a cage match is from these two particular organizations go ahead TW I'm sorry they're, they're way different and, and my train of thought goes with it because for one just the whole idea of how you win and and the whole idea of why you're having it and all that like i would say wwe was more of a like what's the word i'm looking for like an occasion because they didn't have them all the damn time attraction right right it was an attraction and almost mm -hmm. like the survivor series it wasn't once a year but it wasn't much more than that Whereas NWA mm -hmm. felt like there was always one. And uh, first one I ever saw on TV was UWF, One Man Gang versus, uh, I think, Duggan in a loser league sound match. And that was when Duggan went to WWF after he lost that one. And uh, mm -hmm. But but my train of thought goes with these because you have world class who has that, that ring that's just shy of being a fourth rope or a fifth rope high. And then... Bob Backlund versus uh, Snuka was the old NWA style cage that was the 15 feet, you know. Mm -hmm. And then Austin Idol versus Lawler was like a hell in a cell without a roof. It mm -hmm. encased the entire area, so you didn't right. do the whole throwing them into the... Uh, yeah, Jer Jerry Law was not going to jump off the cage. He was not going to risk that. Into it. Mm -hmm. So that one felt more like keeping people out of it, you know, mm -hmm. like, and it didn't work, by the way. Right. It didn't work. So they all had their own twist on it. And, you know, throughout time, like when we were kids, it was like you said, the NWA and the WWF were completely different mindsets on how or why they had their cage matches. But now over the years, I think the WWF's even had cage matches where they had pins and submissions, not just escapes. Mm -hmm. I think they had all four. So we've got cage matches now that are escape. you got cage matches now that are pin or submit. Now you got cage matches that are all of them, you know, right. or exclusive to that. And I don't know. Are you a fan of? Are you are you a fan of exclusive or every option is available to you as I best? I prefer pen submission. I I, mm -hmm. I think as a blow off, and it's supposed to be the be all end all, and you're keeping everybody else out. I want a winner, you know. Mm -hmm. So as much as I rag on Magnum versus T, uh, Tully, it had a winner. So right. it, it did what it was supposed to do. Magnum came out on top. Tully went on to put over the next guy, and and Magnum went on to to challenge Flair, or whatever, before his accident. Um, so it did what it was supposed to do. But um, you you have to be careful because you do have to have the heel win every now and again, or everyone's just going to know that the babyface wins. And I think mm -hmm. that's why the WWF didn't do them as often. 
And I think that's why the NWA had Ric Flair still win matches with the Horseman's help. You know, one of my favorite finishes ever is is Luger dropping the U.S. title to Dusty Rhodes when J.J. Dillon throws the chair into the cage and it backfires and Dusty DDT's Lex on the chair mm-hmm. to win the U.S. title and basically turn Lex babyface. That's a good finish um, because that same spot is probably how Flair won on a mm, no, 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 that same spot that you're talking about from Star K87 Reflection Nights yep, no, yep. Uh, on Thanksgiving night, 1987, that spot worked for Luger during the summer of 87 when right, he won right. the U.S. title so from Nikita Cole. Yeah. I, I just meant Flair because Flair, Flair would win cage matches. I didn't mm-hmm. know. That's, see, that makes it even better to me because now no, I'm just giving you, you I'm just giving you the dichotomy of what you're saying where you it have, came from. You have a heel victory in a cage match with help. And then you mm-hmm. have it backfire, and you have that heel lose. So it keeps right. the fans going. It's anybody's match, you know. Whereas, you know, Hogan versus Bundy, hindsight fifty fifty, we all knew Hogan's winning. But at the same time, he's battered and bruised. It's a steel cage. It's the most barbaric match in WWE history until Hell in a Cell. Until mm-hmm. uh, what's that other one? Elimination Chamber. Elimination Chamber is probably even the worst of all because they're taking bumps on these greats. Um, mm-hmm. And so. I just, I just think, I think they both did it right. I think they mm-hmm. both did it right. If if WWE had the cage match as often as NWA did, the babyface would have won every time. I, I can't even think of the last cage match where the babyface didn't win because you got Brett versus Owen where Owen won the regular match and then Brett got the win back in the cage. You got Warrior dropping the IC title to Rick Rude in the regular match and then defending it in the cage when he's world champion, like mm-hmm. the obvious number one contender is the guy who just beat him, and Warrior wins. Um well, Shawn Michaels beats Triple H or uh, Undertaker in the cage with help because Kane come out and interfered. So there you go. Mm-hmm. I just answered my own question that I watched that twenty hey. minutes ago. So, but, but <laughs> that's not a cage match. That's a hell in the cell. I, I'm talking the regular cage, the regular formula. Hogan beats right. Bundy. Hogan beats Orndorff. Uh, Warrior beats Rude. Uh, Brett it, beats Owen. Right. It's funny you say that because, like I said, the evolution even for WWE with the cage match change from the 80s into the 2000s and beyond and i want to use and the thing about the nwa you are so right to me well pepsi that's a nice symbol there that's old school right there that's a flashback no it's it's cream soda and it's awesome oh boy i don't know about cream soda but anyway shop cream soda coat no it's very good i I enjoyed the hell out of it cool you should have just you should have just had a root beer you know just go for that no it's not a root beer it's cream soda no, I'm just saying. Either way, but anyway, neither here nor there. Orange vodka in there. You 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 talked about how the '80s WWE it was an attraction for these cage matches. It was somewhat of predictable that the hero would would win maybe 99 out of 100 times. Let's just say the right. NWA was a little bit different. Some of them were blowoffs. Some of them extended feuds, and then sometimes they were statements to elevate a feud. And I want to give you one example of the cage. That it wasn't even a match. Do you remember the the night where Dusty Rhodes broke his leg in a cage and he wasn't even in the goddamn match? It was <laughs> it was Flair against Nikita Koloff in the cage, and of course Dusty, out of respect, quote unquote, he had respect for Flair, saved Ric Flair from a, the attack on the Russians. Who would come down that aisle? The Anderson brothers, Ole and Arn Anderson. And they would beat the holy hell out of Dusty Rhodes, breaking his leg. 
And like you said, how the cage kept people out. This was this was a funny formula. Not funny, but this was an interesting formula. How the cage kept the heroes out. How the three heels took got Magnum TA out the way. Got the Rock and Roll Express out the way. Got Sam Houston out of the way. They kept the cage door closed. They couldn't go over the top. And Dusty Rose's leg was obliterated, TW. Just like you said, the NWA perpetuated storylines. And this one, this wasn't even a match. But it's so infamous because of what it was. People actually, this was the main event. This was the, like, the old school ways reflectionized. TW kind of said this, I think, last week or maybe during, like, uh, the past reflect, reflection podcast. It took it took about thirty minutes to forty five minutes to put the goddamn cage up, so Perfect. people were not watching the cage being put up. Some people were interested, but it's not it's it's kind of boring to watch people put the shit up. You're waiting patiently as much as you can while you're drinking your beer, saying get get the goddamn cage up, man. Why well, want to see the match? But on the flip side, when this happened, you know what people did? They stayed watching them take the cage down and the ring down. This was so vivid and this was so visual that it was so perfect and almost, and, and they always said, and Flay and Arn Anderson even said, they almost did not get out there with their lives because people wanted to beat the shit out of them. What say you, TW, about right? that history? So, so that show I told you about in, in Lima, they mm-hmm. built that damn cage in, in the middle of the show. It wasn't the last match. It should wow. either be first or last. Right, mm-hmm. I get, first I get you, you that. Rip the shit down, and then you have your show, or last, and you have an intermission to set up the cage. And and the good thing about having an intermission right before the cage is alcohol sales stop at intermission. Once intermission's over, there's mm-hmm. no more alcohol sales. So it would have been a perfect reason to extend sales, then have mm-hmm. your cage match. Um, but now it's it's beautiful. They just lower the shit up and down with the with the uh, the Owen Hart thing. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> too soon. Too soon. <laughs> so uh, it's, better, it's better now. They can have it just while they're showing you the 37-minute recap of why we're having the cage match in the first place. But, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, back then, um, you know, it's getting back to that Von Erickson and the Freebirds, um, the fans wanted to kill the Freebirds. Like, they lost, and the fans are still there wanting to kill them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you almost are better off cage until the fans leave and then they can tear the shit down so you can get back to the locker room safe and there weren't barricades like there are now back then it was some damn ropes and a couple uh off-duty fucking rodeo clowns helping you get to the ring and hopefully swatting dudes out of your way when you come out but um mm-hmm. you, you know what i did hate about some of those cage matches and i think i talked to you about a ring of honor match that did it but it wasn't a cage match it was a bunkhouse match I don't like when they come out and wrestle in their damn street clothes. It's a cage match. It's not. So it had me sitting there because again, I was. Oh, the, the, about the, you don't. You don't remember the bunkhouse stampede in a cage in '88? They were all in no. jeans. I know it's ter- It's a terrible look. Mm-hmm. As a fan, you could sneak in there, and no one will really realize you're in there if you snuck in good enough, and you just be yeah. one of the dudes in there, and they'll just be <laughs> work punching you, and be like, "Wait a minute, who the hell is this guy?" And then they'd all turn and eat him up. But. But my point is, is it's it's just it made me sit there when I'm watching that match, going, does this add to it or take it away? And then it made me question, okay, well, why do the other guys wear their gear when they're in there? I want to see the wrestler in their gear every time. Like mm-hmm. I like Roman Reigns more now because he's not dressed like a security guard, even though he's still wearing the damn black slacks. 
he looks like a wrestler again because, you know, he shows off the tattoo and everything else, and he doesn't have that bulletproof vest thing on. Now, if it was a singlet-type thing, fine. But but the the watch the guys wrestle in the jeans, it just – it feels like they took a night off, you know? Right. And, and, and then I watched some uh, other stuff, you know, when the YouTube matches end, they just play whatever's next, and I saw a match. It was <laughs> a weird match. Savio Vega and – Jesse James, and they kept calling mm-hmm. him Double J, because I think I think Jarrett left. This is the first time yeah. he left, okay. so they just started calling Jesse James the, the Double J, um, mm-hmm. the real Double J, against Farouk and Austin, and and Austin come out around the ring and takes out Road Dog's leg, and Brett comes out in a freaking cardigan and jeans and boots and takes his place and then wrestles. That makes more sense to me. It looks impromptu, which brings me mm-hmm. to another peeve of mine. When a guy makes the save and they play his music first, uh, so much for the element of surprise. If you're going to play his music, why would it's just you just standing back there waiting to save somebody all night? Okay, this is where I'm going to do it. Play my music and I'm going to run mm-hmm. out there. I just don't like it. And so when these cage matches where they're wearing, I get the bunkhouse rules. It's a different animal altogether. P.S. I hate that match. I hate all them. I hate bull rope match. I hate cowbell match. I don't. You know, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Hell in the Cell, Michaels is absolutely bloody from forehead to fucking ball sack. He's just bleeding everywhere. Mm-hmm. When did that change? When did they stop? When they went corporate? When they went um, yes. stock? Yes. So Stockholders don't like blood. Yeah, but they still advertise for Halloween Kills. They still advertise for Sons mm-hmm. of Anarchy. I don't get it. I uh, Whatever, just get new sponsors then. But anyways, mm-hmm. a lot of the boys in the business, uh, Travis is one of them. Um, Rick Davies is a longtime wrestling friend of mine. He's a promoter, El Diablo. These dudes believe hardcore matches and steel cage matches, no matter how good the match will be, fall short if no one's bleeding. And I 1,000% disagree with them. I, I, you I do? feel like... I feel but like does, if you want but doesn't that... So say say Brett and Sean have the exact same Iron Man mm-hmm. match, which many regard as one of the greatest matches of all time, and it's sixty freaking minutes, and the only fall is in the sixty fifth minute, right? Okay. If they have that exact same match, and there's a cage around it, and no one's ever bumped the guy into the cage, they just had the cage there to stop DX from getting in there or stop the Heart Foundation from getting in there. Is it less of a match now because no one bled? No. no. It's still no. one of the greatest matches. As of long all time, as right? as long as you tell a story that makes sense. So why do you have to have blood? I and, think it and, depends on the, on the nature of the feud and how much anger, how personal it is. At it this depends. point, guys should just be on board with the fact that if a dude's going to bleed in a match in the WWE these days, it's going to be the hard way, and just appreciate that because okay. it still happens. Well, all right, you know what? Let me let me flip that question to you, and I'll give you an example. Hulk okay. Hogan and, and Andre the Giant, WrestleMania three. We remember that ninety three thousand one hundred seventy three. Hogan slams Andre. Now they had their feuds, quote unquote. It's personal from eighty seven to eighty eight. Do you remember Russell Fest nineteen eighty eight in Milwaukee? They fought in the, the cage blue match. Cage. They yeah. fought in the blue cage. I don't recall if. If it was Hogan who, who bled a little bit or Andre. It would have been Hogan. It would have been, been Hogan. But if he didn't bleed, if it was still them doing all that stuff without the blood, with the way how personal it was, is it still good? Is it still a pass for you? 
I I think if you take him and you throw him into that, like Shawn Michaels took a lot of back bumps into the cage, like the Mr. Perfect flip mm-hmm. into it. I think if you do all that, there's no reason that he would end up bleeding unless you want him to bleed from the fucking back. Um, so I, for myself, if blood is involved, it doesn't make the match less to me, but mm-hmm. I don't need blood to make it more. Okay. You? And, yeah, it makes and the sense. I'm just saying that sometimes... The fact that there are kids watching, if someone gigs, you know, I do like, I, I wish I could think of the story. I think it's Jericho. I don't know. I think it was Jericho and Michaels, and I was reading about it. One of them was adamant that they were bleeding. Like, they had to have blood in this match. And mm-hmm. it became the old, well, it's better to ask Vince for forgiveness than permission, because they knew they'd be told no. And I think word got back to Vince, and they were like, don't do it, don't do it. And then they did it. And they, I think right. it was Sean and and um, Jericho, and they both bled. I don't remember. I don't know why those two would be bleeding, but wh- whoever it was, I think it involved Jericho. Uh, and they ended up. Everyone agreed that it made the match better because mm-hmm. of the heat, right? The, right. The, and, and they got the pass, and I. That's why I think it had to be Sean because he's the guy that would have got the pass. Jericho mm-hmm. got the punishment, right? So. Right. Um, so it might even been Sean and Triple H. I don't know, but it was it was something. It was Sean and Triple H. It was the when he came back and he was feuding with Triple H, maybe even Helen. I don't. Whatever the case may be, do I think they had a, if, they had a cage match? I understand where you're going with this, though. So the bottom line is, if they bleed in every cage match, why is it so fucking special? Mm-hmm. Now, if they bleed here and there, okay, all right, we got color, but I don't need it, and I'm not gonna. Dave Meltzer it and half star taken away because there was no blood. I just, it's crazy to me that people want blood. And my thing is call me a prude, call me what you will. But part of this thought was because I was in the wrestling business and I didn't want to happen to me. What happened to Desmond Wolf or whoever the other guy was at Abdullah cut. I don't want to bleed with some dude. I don't know. And then I'm getting some shit that I don't want to get. And I didn't mm-hmm. get it from a yeah. girl at least. So Desmond, Desmond Wolf, want, AKA Nigel McGinnis got hepatitis. Yeah. From, I think, Abdullah the Butcher because yeah, of Abdullah. The- he made him bleed without permission. He just cut him without asking with the same dirty-ass blade that, by the way, he probably uses every night on himself. And it's it's just, to me, yeah. it's unsafe. So it's a practical reason why I'm okay with it not being in the in the match. But I just don't understand why people just discredit it. Now, that said, I used to play NWO Revenge, No Mercy, WrestleMania 2000. And I purposely would be just whacking a dude until their mm. head bled. I, I popped right. when I made them bleed on the video game, but no one's getting hepatitis on the video game. So this, I, this I is understand a, the, the this is a funny game. argument. This is this is a yeah. funny argument because right now in 2021, the TW people want the blood, and WWE can't give it, but AEW can. So they want to inject that. So, quote-unquote, realism into the fight, and probably it adds color to the match. Now, let's flip it back into the 70s and 80s, even with cage matches. But since you, we couldn't be there at the arenas because, you know, if, if Flair and Dusty were in a cage fighting in Charlotte, North Carolina, I can't see it on TV. I didn't have cable. You couldn't right. see it in Michigan. But how do we see – how do we know that that match was so epic? There was a picture on the aftermags. In the K, and after got the pick of maybe Flair being, you know, you know, by the fence, Dusty putting his hand right through the fence and making him bleed, and he got the right picture. So for the aftermags, and I'm just using them as an example. I'm not saying that that was in the aftermags, but a cage match. It was the the picture 
was somebody the heels face rammed into the cage to get the blood trickling from their head because that's what got you a hype for their match, b hype to know what happened, and c buy the magazine. So TW, I understand your argument against it. I'm just trying to. I'm not trying to give the argument for. I'm just trying to give it no, a no, reason no, no. why but that, for the business. This sense. is what I'm going to hit you with. That was then. Mm-hmm. This is now. I, mm-hmm. I, it's been long enough that people shouldn't lose their ass when someone doesn't bleed in a cage match. That's mm-hmm. my point. Like, why does it ruin the match for you? Is my question. Not you. I was asking you if it did ruin the match for mm-hmm. you. But you know, when as I long as that, game, as long as there's a reason, I, this doesn't ruin if it or doesn't. My favorite match for the last four years, five years, however many it's been, maybe not last year, but the first three. My favorite match was hands down War Games. All three of the first three, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Undisputed Era versus uh, I don't even know who they fought. Um, but I, the 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 three team one wasn't as good. But when they all were in there, it was. Um, mm-hmm. And then the third one was good. And and last year I don't even remember who was in it. I don't like when they start hodgepodge and they end up with Hogan Warrior, uh, Luger and Sting, or Hogan Macho, Luger and Sting, where they're not really people that associate with each other. It's two different people, mm-hmm. and they where they're just throwing guys in there. I don't like those so much. Not one guy bled in those war games matches, and they still were talked about as the match of the year by many. Mm-hmm. And why? Because all the other shit they did, they did a ton of shit. They took some sick bumps. They took some crazy bumps. They took some risks. And mm-hmm. that little metal plate okay. that connects those two rings, they're power bombing dudes on that. So there's brutality in there, but you didn't need blood. You, you know, if it mm-hmm. happened, it happened, but it didn't. And it didn't take away from it, is my point. And I don't think mm-hmm. it would have made it better if they did. It would have just been, oh, they also bled. Well, since you brought up the war games, let's talk about the evolution of the cage match yourself. Because, again, like you said, we are jaded as wrestling fans because we if you've seen one cage match, you've seen them all. So what could you do in a cage match? You've done the tag teams. You've done six mans. You've done battle royals in a cage match. What can you do to up the ante? Well, Dusty Rhodes did that in 1987. He created the concept with the cage match, double cage match in Double steel cages. He called it the War Games. And the first one, everybody says, is still one of the epic matches ever in the history of professional wrestling. The Superpowers and the Road Warriors against the Four Horsemen. Dusty Rhodes said the War Games concept was actually made for the Four Horsemen because you got all four guys, all four main eventers. You bought, you know, asses. They bought asses in seats. And this concept, T.W., was perfect for them and perfect for heroes to get one up on the on the four horsemen. They didn't lose no stock. They didn't lose no credence. They didn't lose their spots. It wasn't no title matches. So what say you? Because since you brought up the undisputed era being the MVPs of the NXT War Games, of course the four horsemen in the early stages of the War Games were the MVPs of those particular War Games. Yeah, and they didn't have to win it to still be the MVP of it, right? Like, mm-hmm. they just they just were. It was a fight. The only problem I had with the War Games and NWA was the cage lid. It had a lid, and it was way too low. It almost killed Brian Pillman even earlier than his early death, and Sid was to blame. It fucked um, up J.J. Dillon because of that low uh, yeah, lid yeah. there, too. Um, but I'll t- I, just getting back to that, I, I, I like Dusty Rhodes. I think... I think he's top 
two, if not one, for charisma in the history of the business, right? But he's nothing mm-hmm. to look at. Like, as a kid, I didn't look at that dude and go, oh, I want to be like him. No, I. but do you know what I think really gave him such a rub? That War Games match and being associated with the Road Warriors. They were six-man champions a million times, or at least mm-hmm. always had the damn things. Yeah. Uh, and then you add Nikita Koloff to it. Really, if you look at that team, it's three tremendously built human beings and Dusty. But Dusty <laughs> was just a badass, just as much a badass as him. I believe he painted his face uh, team with the Road Warriors on more than one occasion. Mm-hmm. But I just think, to me, that's what made Dusty cool for me. When he was wearing the damn J.J. Dynamite hat with his little white afro or yellow mm-hmm. afro, whatever he had, and wearing his dad jeans up to his belly button with a half-assed uh, state house jacket from Japan, Kyoto, whatever that jacket's called. He didn't look appealing to me. He didn't look like a hero. You know, he looked like mm-hmm. the dude who would try to hustle me out of my money when I got a dollar to go get a soda at the party store. <laughs> hey, man, what you going to do with that dollar? Oh, um, boy. But when you he was the, com- the, he was the common board, man. <laughs> right. But you put him, he was Huggy Bear and Starsky and Hutch. But you uh, put uh, him with the Road Warriors and then Nikita Koloff to boot, and it's just, which inevitably that means Nikita's the guy who replaced Magnum, right? Which mm, is what yeah. they did in the storyline. Like he had sympathy for his rival, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. but, but it made Dusty just like them to me, the rub, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anybody thinks the rub was going from the road warriors to Dusty. I think everyone thinks that Dusty was giving the rub to, um, Nikita and the road warriors because nobody was more over the dusty roads in the South. Nobody. This dude Absolutely. was the Hulk Hogan of the Southern Mason Dixon line area. Uh, which I think he was over in the WWE, but he didn't stay long enough. I think if he would have stayed long enough or came sooner, he was a little long in the tooth when he finally got mm-hmm. to the WWE. Um, but, dude, Dusty Rhodes and the Road Warriors and Nikita Koloff, it's it's probably, and I know War Games isn't Survivor Series, but if we're going to do teams of four, the greatest team of four of all time. Actually, yeah, four. You have to know. It's the Road Warriors. It's the Ultimate Warrior, and it's the Modern Day Warrior. That is the greatest team ever assembled in the history of four-man wrestling teams ever. I would say Dusty, Nikita, and the Royal Warriors are number two. And number three, I surprise you, all three demolition with Mr. Perfect, which was the opponent mm-hmm. of the Road Warriors versus uh, and Warrior and the, all the Warriors, mm-hmm. damn it. They were called the right. Ultimate Warriors. So I, I hate I hate it. But I, I just want to, like, let's keep it into the cage mindset because, again, you have to up the ante for the – the paying customer because again i'm not saying that cage matches got boring but then when you add the double cage for the war games concept and the rules of it dusty rose you know made these rules actually perfect you know two men start for five minutes and then the the coin toss you know when you do it the first time it's very intriguing but then after you know after like the 40th war games you always know that the bad guy always gets always the yep. the bad guy always gets the the advantage the two two on one advantage. Oh so yeah, then the it, coin toss. It gets redundant, so you know you had to you had to be more creative of how to get that you know two on one advantage on the heel side. But anyway, we're not going into semantics. We're still talking about the cage matches. But TW, you said it. The undisputed era were the were the MVPs of your NXT War Games, and I remember they had the it was the undisputed era against I believe it was Pete Dunne, Ricochet, Kevin Owens. I forget the fourth guy, but again, it was one of your uh, 
they were the MVPs on that one when it was four on four on that one. So they were very they they were very good. Of course, Adam Cole, you know, it's debatable what Adam Cole has become in AEW in comparison to the Adam Cole in NXT. It's night and day, in my humble opinion. But I'm not getting into any uh, debates with any AEW stands out there. I just wanted to point out the obvious. But in the War Games concept, one of the most memorable War Games was 1996 TW where it was the NWO against Team WCW, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Sting, and Lex Lugan. Of course, Sting was the odd man out because they did not trust him. So it was it was intriguing there. And then of course, when you looked at it, if you was really dumb that you know if you lived in a in a soapbox and you did not know what Sting looked like. When you saw the NWO Sting doing what he did, and then, of course, Sting comes out five, two minutes later, and then he cleans house. But, of course, they added the drama and all that stuff, and Luger looks at him like, I'm sorry, I didn't, I meant, I didn't mean to not trust you, and then Sting just says, stick it. That's one of the most memorable things there. Or, we, or maybe the year after, well, it kind of looked predictable where Kurt Henning betrayed the four horsemen, and of course, he rammed the door on Ric Flair's head. What memory stands out between those two years in particular when it was NWO against maybe the four horsemen or, or team WCW? Uh, hallelujah, because those happened after the Hogan, Savage, Sting, and... Oh, you mean the uh, Hulkamaniacs versus the Dungeon of Doom? The War Dungeon Games of, of Doom, which is arguably the worst war games of all time. I don't know. It was enjoyable. I don't know. I just, I, it was hokey. It was It was when they were, if you can't beat them, join them, we're going to become the circus, uh, WCW. Okay. But I, my memories of the NWO are not as fond as yours. I okay. just, <laughs> at some point, to me, NWO, the original four, I'm in. Right? Mm-hmm. They did everything right. Hall, Nash, two of my favorite dudes. I don't know about Nash, but Tizo, I liked him because he was with Sean. When he did that, I'm only going to fist bump people who got the black glove on. No, mm-hmm. I'm out. <laughs> that's that's that. I thought. I think I told you. I thought Roman Reigns was headed to that level because they were so desperate to get him cheered. Um, but I've always been a Scott Hall fan. When he teamed with Hennig, I was a Scott Hall fan. When he was doing jobs after that in WCW, it was Gator Scott Hall. I was a huge Diamond Stud fan. So I was a huge Razor Ramon fan. So when he came over, sadly, I got to tell you, Razor mm-hmm. Ramon is what got me to start watching WCW, not Luger. Hey, whatever, right? whatever worked. <laughs> and I thought Adam Cole was going to be the Razor Ramon of AEW. But every time I watch Adam Cole in AEW, he's just another guy there. Like It, it absolutely breaks my heart. And I can't. It, it breaks my heart too. It's night and day what you see with Adam Cole. Then, but that's here abs- that that fucking spot where those two kiss him and he smiles. He might. He he's not even the Roddy Strong of. Uh, he's the Bobby Fish of of the damn elite. Uh, you are, you're gonna you're gonna ruffle some feathers here if this gets dude, on the YouTube. That's my favorite wrestler right now. Is Adam Cole and Gargano, and they're both gone. I, I'm a man without a show because I can't watch NXT because Gargano's not there. Uh, Cole's not. It's just and I like LA Knight and I feel like he loses every week. Now he's in a match with that dude surfer guy with the boxing show. I just I'm a man without a promotion and I bring of honor ain't it. I can tell you that. I hope MLW mm-hmm. maybe I can watch that. But anyways, um the NWO just got to the point like like 
you ruin good things. Mr. Perfect is a four horseman is something that fits like a damn foot in a shoe. You know, it's just the right size shoe. It's right. And for him to turn and join the NWO, it's like, come on, man. Does everybody got hey, it got, re- it got redundant. the four horsemen? And then Sting mm-hmm. ends up being in it eventually anyway. And then three different damn NWOs. It just, <laughs> they just, oh, it just, they ruin it. But Hogan, Nash, Hogan is the heel turn. And they were going to do Sting, I guess, but he didn't want to do it. Um, mm-hmm. Or was Macho Man going to be? Whatever. Who, they it was, was going to Sting. Um, if Hogan wouldn't do it. Um, but Hogan, Hall, Nash, and X-Pac, uh, he doesn't get enough credit. He, this dude, w- was the complimentary wheel in the DX after Sean was gone. Well, there's Hunter, the New Age Outlaws, and X-Pac. And he was the, the, the ideal fourth guy, which actually he was that after the NWO, wasn't he? He joined the NWO, mm-hmm. uh, DX after NWO. Yeah. So he just... He is a, as as Travis likes to call him, he's a good hand. I don't know how he is as a human being. Seems to be a little cooler these days than he was in the drug years. But mm-hmm. he was the perfect complimentary piece. You had your giant guy, Hogan. You had your tag team, Hall and Nash, who also could be your giant guy if you want to interchange him. And then you got your smaller guy that can go for the U.S. title, the TV title, or the, the cruiserweight title once you added 17 other guys. But those four guys, to me, that point on NWO got watered down from right. that point on. It, it, it's funny because 96 in that war games, it was Hogan, Hall, Nash, and the NWO Sting. Then 97, those three weren't even in it. It was like Conan. It was, right. it, it was somebody, Garbage. it was Buck. It was, it was the B Norton. player. It was Norton or whatever. It was the Buck B player. Well. So it kind of, you know, defaulted on the, the, of the necessity of the war games because it was supposed to be your A players in this high-profile match, so they even they even dumbed it down for that particular reason. So it didn't work on that on that forefront. So now you know we gave the example of upping the ante with the war games. Let's use another example of upping the ante, but it got ridiculous in 1988, and it even got ridiculous in the movie sense in 2000. And you could call it the triple cage of terror or the tower of doom, but it was three cages of hell. Where you started from the top, well, in 88, you started from the top and worked your way to the bottom to escape. And then in the uh, 2000s, for the Ready to Rumble cage match, you started you, you started from the bottom and worked your way to the top to grab the belt. So, TW, when you see that cage, you know, the Tower of Doom concept was they used the War Games formula, five on five, and there was no advantage. There was no two-on-one advantage. Right. It was just you, you had out. to be... You had to be quick to get down. So it, right, you had to X pocket all the way down. But you know, they in, they like purposely had the two on one advantages in certain levels of the cages. Right. Now the funny thing on the opposite side, again, we could use the ready to rumble because they tried to use that in, I believe it was Great American Bash two thousand when it was Jeff Jarrett against Diamond Dallas Page. So they had to work their way up, and they had weapons and all that stuff. So. I'm a fan of 1988. I can tolerate the three cages. You're going down and trying to escape. Wasn't there one at a Halloween Havoc? No, it was uncensored. Where it was Hulk. Well, Luger? now it's no, no, no. It's gonna get Hulk. Horseman. Now you gotta. It it was Horseman, Luger, Kevin Sullivan, Zeus, and I forgot the other guy. Al Green. I forgot. His, it was the weapon of mass destruction against Hogan and Savage. They worked their way down. It was it was eight on two. And two guys won. So, you know, t- see, you get me that. 
it was and, horrible. And they didn't know how to film it. Because one minute, I remember Luger fighting Arn and Flair in the middle of the cage, the middle cage. They fought in the or bottom. Were they all too. beating up Savage. They were all beating up Savage, but then there was a missed spot. And then Luger, be, you know, it wasn't like Luger betrayed him, but it was just Luger just fucked it up. That's the way they wanted to create, like, uh, quandaries between. Absolute, the, one of the worst matches I've ever seen in my life. Even And I just what? remember feeling bad for those guys because I think it was Hogan. Sorry. I think it was Luger, Arn, and Flair in that middle cage. And you can tell they don't want to take bumps. They're taking bumps mm-hmm. on this fucking fence because there's not a ring. It's just the mm-hmm. ring at the bottom, and then these damn birthday cake stacks of fences, and you can just tell they're like, God. And they're just standing there waiting, like, I hope the camera's not on me. Ah, but it is, and then they start fighting, and you're like, this is God-awful, and I think everyone knew it. Like, that match would be good. Somehow, some way, Cactus Jack would have made a good match out of that. But throwing okay. 10 losers in there who mm-hmm. want no part of taking a bump in a regular match, you ain't getting them to do much in a fence bump, you know? And it just got awful. I thought you were about to talk about what I think is a great concept but has been ruined in years because they let one guy wipe everybody out, like, every couple years, which is the Elimination Chamber. I like the concept Mm -hmm. where, you know, the the, whoever loses the coin toss has to come out first or lost the match on Raw, whatever they did. And then those mm-hmm. pods open up, but then well, you know what? Ron yeah, let's, pins five out of six guys, and it gets beat by the one. Let's talk about the elimination chamber here, because again, that's upping the ante. That's a good example. That was two thousand two. It was Survivor Series where Shawn Michaels became the world heavyweight champion on the Raw side, and I think he such started that match. match. It was such a good match, and of course, you know they had five. They had four guys. Well, it was a terrible outfit. They had four guys in their in their like cages waiting to be coming pods. out in their pods. Good, good call, TW. And of course, you know it was random. You did not know, but right. the light hit the pod, and then you came out of the pod, and then of course you did your thing once you came out of the pod. So the look of the elimination. Now you know. Let's talk about the looks of cages because war games. Of course, if you paid a ticket for war games, the double cage and. That's awesome. That that that's an aura right there. Tower of Doom looks scary raw. as right, right. Raw. Tower of Doom looks scary as fuck. I'm like, I'm not even thinking about how the match is gonna be good. I'm just thinking, I hope no one dies because you're all right. up right. the top and, and working your way down. See the top. Right. Well, you gotta look up like that. But now let's talk about the elimination chamber. The look is again, it's a combination of the bar with the fencing. So it's hurt, and you talked about the grading right. on the sides. So these wrestlers feel it the next day. So oh. TW, talk about well, why the elimination the chamber. And then, mm-hmm. and then it's like chains hanging there. Not, It's not mm-hmm. even like the fence. They're like square chain shape. I think they've, they've, they've fixed it up at least they've, in the they've 2021. Up, they prettied it up way, way more. Oh, two, I think they are actually in little cages. Mm-hmm. Um and then now the modern one is that pod with the plexiglass that the door right. opens. And mm-hmm. it can open on both sides. Like, I think they get in from the outside and then go, or they get in the cage. But it's it's, but it's but the whole ringside area, too. So, mm-hmm. But the spots they do off the top of those pods onto the grate, that's one of my favorite uh, versions of the video game to play is that match. Uh, mm-hmm. Climbing up there and then swinging down on people um, and doing moves off the pod. But... It's perfect uh, it for the. Is, it's per. Wait, wait. It's perfect for the athletic man because 
Yeah. Ricochet would do good in that. But RVD performed yep. well in 2002 yep. in the first elimination chamber match. He kind of fucked Jericho, up on the, on the, on the there. Yeah, he was there, Triple H and Booker T. But RVD yeah, did yeah, fuck Jericho, take a super kick and break his pod. So maybe they were pods in the first year. Someone broke the pod by taking a bump into it or a spear or something into it. It was maybe Goldberg's, that's more modern day. It was, was Goldberg spearing a pod in, the, in one of the Elimination Chambers in 03. That's what you're talking about. Okay. Then, then maybe the pods have been there since day one. But um, mm-hmm. but it's just, it's just, it's, it's so pretty now that you take for granted how barbaric it is. It's still barbaric. But it I looks think they, so they, good. It kind of sanctified it. You know what I mean? They they try right, to make you're still it bumping on a grate, and you're still mm-hmm. throwing into those metal bars with those. I it almost you, looks I like you. one of Shawn Michaels, uh, one of them jackets he had with the chains hanging on it. That's what you know, because they're kind of loose, so you can climb them, but they're not hard. Like it's got give, but you still mm-hmm. got the bar that are holding those chains up together. Right. So you're right. It's a combination of the two. Easy to climb, but not as brutal as just all blue bar. It's the mm-hmm. crossbars aren't blue, just the vertical ones are. Um, right. So, but it looks so good. But I agree with with people. Like I think Jericho's criticized it, or Bischoff, or uh, Bruce Pritchard. It's lost some of its allure because you have. I think they had four one night, or at least three one night. They had a they had a SmackDown and a Raw version. Mm-hmm. And they had a woman's version and then a tag team version. But the tag team version might have been on one where they didn't have a Raw and a SmackDown or they did. But they've had mm-hmm. three different matches in the same night. Like, it's, it's oh, over, oversaturation. One. Right. right. It's watered down have so one. much. And you know mm-hmm. what? If Raw doesn't have a feud worthy of putting six guys in there, then SmackDown gets it this year. Maybe even alternate it every year. Raw gets it one year, SmackDown. You almost have to do the women to get one, too. But it's almost unfair to do it on the same night. Maybe they have right. a, just a woman's do it every six months. The woman's six months, and then six months later is the guy, just so they're one a night. Well, you know, in a perfect world, WWE with Raw and SmackDown, they should have, you know, separated the pay-per-views like they did in 2016, where there was a Raw pay-per-view, and then the next month, you know, a SmackDown pay-per-view, and you didn't have to interject each other. But, but of course, you know, ratings or play make it Raw versus SmackDown. Have three raw guys and three SmackDown the, guys in the, it. The problem, the problem with that now in 2021, their TW is they they intersect each other so much that it doesn't right. it doesn't even feel special that you're a raw right. guy or a SmackDown guy. Right. So before right. we close I out, TW, I, I, no, no, I understand. No, I understand. But it was, the look is so <laughs> great. But before we close out, TW, because I want to close out with Ellen Cell, I want to give an homage to Total Nonstop Action, aka Impact Wrestling, with. Their uh, concept, their best cage match concept, I don't know if you agree with this. I'm not saying it is, but, you know, this is what they were known for during the Russo era, the Dixie Carter era. It was called Lethal Lockdown. It was a War Games type match. And then what they did when all 10 members came into the single cage, they closed the lid. But on top of the lid, there was weapons. There was trash cans there was kendo sticks and all that stuff and of course aj was a was an mvp of the lethal lockdown because sometimes he got out of that cage and he did a lot of spots on the top of the roof i don't know if you saw those lethal lockdown i've never seen one i'm gonna watch so you know it was like it was like team cage against team angle one year so i just wanted to give credence to that but tw it is kind of like war games on acid with the with when you add the weapons on top of the cage when you close the cage with the lid are you a fan of having weapons of gimmicks on a, in a cage, or does it oversaturate the cage match concept? 
No, I don't. I don't mind that. Actually, that sounds like a good idea. But the problem with weapons is it's always it's the same ones. It's a kendo mm-hmm. stick. It's a chair. It's a trash can and a lid. Um, or now these days, dudes got to throw thumbtacks out like uh, Mick Foley and his war games. But here, it's funny you just said something, right? Mm-hmm. AJ's still my guy, but you know he's he's a little old, up in age, and so. You know, he's with Omos or whatever his name is. So that's why I say Adam Cole is my favorite guy right now. Um, but it's those three. Adam Cole, AJ, Gargano. I hated AJ Styles when he was in TNA. And I'm going to tell you why. It's the same reason I don't respect AEW. If Impact, when they first started, they were just Impact. I watched it all the time. My buddies were on there, Team Canada. Every one of those dudes I know, right? Scott Demore trained me. Um, the A1, all those guys, Tyson Dukes, uh, Bobby Roode. Uh, I knew all those. Petey Williams was in the, in my clique, the CIA, the Canadian Imperial Alliance. So I watched it for my buddies. Mm-hmm. As soon as Hogan and Dixie, or I don't know if Dixie's to blame. She might have been. As soon as Hogan and Bischoff made that Monday night show to come after events, I, that's when I lost all respect for it. So I liked none of it. And whoever they pushed, and for whatever reason it was AJ, I was like, nope, I don't like him, and I'm not going to like him. And it's stubborn, it's whatever, but then I, I deprived myself of watching some – I hated that six-sided ring, still do. Um, mm-hmm. I deprived myself of watching it because I didn't want to give them my attention, my viewership, my whatever, because of how they operated. And that's how I feel AEW from day one has been that way. And, and real quick, because you know I can't have a show without taking a shot at them. The thing that of made me not. laugh all day today was – them saying they won in the ratings for that half an hour when Friday SmackDown overlapped Dynamite. No, they didn't. They won in the 18 to 49-year-olds at 1030 at night when those people are still up because they live with their parents and don't have to work the next day. The people that watch WWE, on average, I think I read 50 to 60 years old are the people watching WWE on, mm-hmm. on whatever given night. They record it and watch it another day. You didn't win the you didn't win the ratings war. You won a demographic, and the fact that they had to say, "Oh, we," and and what they do is they keep saying, "We won the demographic. We won the demographic," and then they leave demographic off and just keep saying, "We won. We won. We won." So now people think, "Oh, wow, they drew more of a rating." They didn't. So when you do stuff like that, to me, it's shady. It only works on people who are dumb and don't do their own homework or don't research it themselves, and so. I'm going to watch a lethal lockdown because when you just explained it to me, it sounds tremendous. And, mm-hmm. and the fact that I never even heard of that match, I've heard the name. I didn't know that was the match. Like it was a war games match. And then you put a lid on it. I'm like, as you're saying it, my eyes are getting big. I'm like, what, what they get in there like war games. And then they yeah, put a lid good. on it. Yes. Yeah. That sounds like something I'd want to watch. And I love Kurt Angle, Christian Cage, another guy wrestled, uh, call me Nate Madsen. But, um, at the end of the day, I, I missed a lot of stuff because I just didn't want to give them my business, if you will. They weren't going to get my eyeballs and my attention mm-hmm. because of how they operated. And you said it yourself. It was the Russo era, so that's probably why I missed it. Because if mm-hmm. he's there, Bischoff's there, Hogan's there, and it's just it's so junior high the way you know like I said, you don't you don't hear Ronald McDonald. You have your taste. You game. you had it's not about you have your t- I probably would have liked it. If oh, okay. Have done. What they did with the whole making a Monday night show and say, we're coming for you, we're going to put you, it's, it's just they set themselves up to fail by doing something they didn't have to do. Just have a wrestling show, tell everybody, hey, we're having a couple matches, come give us a try. 
I I prefer humility over braggadocious, right? Mm-hmm. As a heel, I like braggadocious, but as a company, win me over. You're not winning me over by telling me the other guys suck. That's not how I work, and that's mm-hmm. what they do on a regular freaking basis. Again, back then. You're, but you're a demographic that has a, has your own taste, and I'm not saying hey, taste I'm of what you like. I'm still in 18 to 49, pal, oh, and I didn't so am I. Dynamite. Also, didn't watch uh, SmackDown, so and a couple, I recorded and a, both of them. In a couple of years, we're both going to be fifty. We're going to be out of this key money-making demographic, right. and they, and we're right. still going to be watching this product. And then they're going to be like, "We're not important to these people, right. these particular organizations." So let's close out this steel cage carnage. It was great to talk about this TW. It was really not about what match did we love. I got an answer for you for for uh, Big Ray's favorite match. Okay, well, Man, since we're going to Undertaker. Okay, well, again. Since we're going to be talking about the main event of what the cage match evolution has become, we have to talk about the Hell in a Cell, which actually started in 1987 because TW actually talked about a match that was Hell in a Cell-like with Austin Idol and Jerry Lawler, hair versus hair. They had the cage down to the bottom, right to the fencing, so it covered everything. The first Hell in a Cell was 1997, and it was Shawn Michaels against The Undertaker. I guess this match, TW, since it was called Hell in a Cell, it was made. It was a gimmick match made for the Undertaker because it took the, his opponent into the stages of hell. Because you had to literally go through hell to survive a match with the Undertaker. I don't know if this match was supposedly made for the Undertaker. I thought the casket match was really made for the Undertaker. The Hell in a Cell, you know, it was groomed for the Undertaker. But again, you, Big Ray said, "What what match he loved." Uh, Mankind versus Undertaker, of course, which he called it the first Hell in the Cell, but he might have called it their first Hell in the Cell. Right, it was the their first Hell in the Cell. That was the second Hell in, official Hell in the Cell match. But the didn't first Taker one. and Mankind do two of them? Or no. they only do one? Oh, they, they only, only did one. one. It was the second official Hell in the Cell match. The first one was Shawn Michaels against The Undertaker, and, and Shawn Michaels you know, played the heel. And you even talked about how good he looked in that ring. He bled from head to toe and all that stuff. He fell off the side into the announcer's table. We could talk about, you know, I think that match is not, is a five-star classic in the, in the Meltzer eyes, but I think it doesn't get remembered as vehemently as Mankind versus The Undertaker because of the spot that the that Mankind did. Spots. With, spots where he fell <laughs> off the roof of the cage onto the, talks, onto the man. He got, he got fucking peeled off of there. But the, the question I have to you, in your humble opinion, does the spots overtake what the match could have been? Because I think, like I said, Michaels and Undertaker was a hell of a better match with a better ending than Mankind versus Undertaker because, of course, those spots are more memorable for Mankind's legacy and Undertaker's legacy. What say you, T.W.? I, this is where I'll disagree. I, I think, first of all, I want to say this. Sean versus Taker, hell in the cell. Obviously, it's got to have something to do with pushing Undertaker, make you think he's going to win. It's going to be his match, like the casket match, whatever, because it's hell. He's the Undertaker. Mm-hmm. However, I think they had this with Sean in mind, and if it would have been five years earlier, Mr. Perfect, because you need a guy who can bump in there to make it look hellish. Right. Okay. So right. I would say it was for both Sean and and Taker uh, to accentuate both. And one thing I like about this match more than anything, and it's obviously not the first one, but I would say this match arguably 
is the one because this match happened because of Undertaker versus Brett at SummerSlam, where Sean cost him the match in his eyes. Uh, that match was okay, but this match, Shawn Michaels is a little guy. Undertaker is bigger than Hulk Hogan. And mm-hmm. you had the stigma where Bret Hart couldn't lace Hogan's boot. Shawn Michaels really couldn't because Bret was singles before Shawn was and in Intercontinental. And Savage made it where you could see because Savage isn't much bigger than Bret or Shawn, I wouldn't think. Um, mm-hmm. But Shawn versus Undertaker was the match that let everybody know a little guy can go toe-to-toe with a big guy because he took everything Taker threw at him and came back for more and also dished out some. And so I think in that regard, that's why this match is so, for me, important, monumental. It's it's the match that, in theory, because they're little guys, he should just be getting beaten around this cage like nobody's business or whatever. And he went on to have matches with Sid, matches with uh, Yokozuna. Did Sean ever work Yokozuna? Brett did, had a good match with him. But he, mm-hmm. he wrestled Sid, he wrestled Kevin Nash, he wrestled Taker, probably Kane. He wrestled all these big guys, and no one questioned why that little dude's in there with the big guy. He, okay. that's why I give Sean. And Brett had matches with those guys, too. Brett had a good match with Diesel. You know, not the best match he ever had, but probably the best Diesel ever had. And so I, I like it for that reason. But what I really love, and what I'm this is why I'm taking it back to Mankind, I mm-hmm. love that Mick Foley and Ted... Uh, Terry Funk watched that match together because Mick Foley was like, how am I supposed to follow that? And they watched it. And the two of them came up with the idea to start Terry Funk really came up with the idea to start the match on the top of the cage. So at the very least it's different. It's different. Right. Right. Because it is hard to follow that. And they're not going to put all that money into making that cage and not use it twice. So that you knew they were using it again. Um, mm-hmm. And wasn't Michael's taker too? Hell in the Cell, the one at WrestleMania. Oh no, no. Triple H. That was, was, that was Triple H. Cell, um, mm-hmm. Which was really just them two beating the shit out of each other. It wasn't even comparable, not in a good way or a bad way. But it wasn't the. It was more barbaric than bump barbaric. I just made up another word. But mm-hmm. for for Mick Foley, his match, if he only took the hip toss off the the cage into the table, and then they came in the ring and just had another wrestling match, I would it would be forgettable. But the fact that he did that, climbed back up there, and then the ring broke, the cage broke when it was supposed to be a three-step, you know, like he took the third choke slam before it fell, and the idea mm-hmm. was he'd already be halfway down. So him, and then the chair lands on his face, and then he That wasn't the planned. That wasn't planned. The thumbtacks well, come The thumbtacks were planned. So it, this match just was like an absolute carnage, and it wasn't a one-trick pony with that hip toss. You ended up having all these other things happen. Sean and, and Taker set the pace, and Mick Foley and Taker took that baton and said, hold my beer, and they went out and did one better. And we don't – I can't think of any other one that we would talk about uh, at the same level. And ironically enough, I told you before we started recording, I fell into this wormhole and started watching other stuff on YouTube. I had no idea. Um, on paper, it was always Taker versus Mankind. But the reality is it was supposed to be Mankind versus Austin. But they didn't think the fans would buy Austin versus Mankind, so they they made it Taker, and both Taker and Mankind are like, we've already rushed each other 900 times and all these different – what are we supposed to do? So there was Mm -hmm. the added pressure of them having to deliver 
in a different way than they'd already done and followed the Shawn Michaels taker match. So everything was stacked against these guys. And I think they more than rose to it. And I don't know how much of it was taker. It sounds like the majority of it is Terry Funk and Mick Foley coming up with all these ideas. And taker was just a good guy to follow it out and jumped off that cage back in the ring, probably thinking he killed Mick Foley with a broken ankle. The whole match, he had a broken he ankle. Said he, he, and he said he that cage twice. He broke his ankle when he fell down, when he dropped down. He said that. It was already broken. It was broken before the match. Oh, okay. I'm just saying when he went down. And he had to and... jump in the ring. His leg was taped up under the boot. Mm-hmm. It was already broken. Because that's what, that's what Bruce Pritchard said. He said, oh, and by the way, uh, Taker can't move because he has a fractured ankle. And so mm-hmm. Mick's like, what the fuck? Like, you're setting me up to fail. And I'm going from being in the ring with the top guy, which is Austin, the champion, to now being in there with the guy who just has nothing going on. So, hey, let's throw Mick Foley with The Undertaker and give him a match. And it ends up being arguably, it's 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 got to be the best gimmick match in the history of wrestling. Like, like, but, but, as anything, the, the watered-down, oversaturation, the hell in the cell has a great match in Undertaker and Michaels, a great match in Undertaker and Mankind, but of course... There is the worst Hell in a Cell in the history of Hell in a Cells, and that would be Seth Rollins against The Fiend, Bray Wyatt. And they say it's the worst match ever because of the of the ending where all these chairs were on uh, Bray Wyatt, but then somehow he comes out of the like a zombie, and it just never made no sense. And Bray Wyatt didn't even win the title at that Hell in a Cell. So I guess that's why a lot of people were jaded about that match. They booed that match out the building, and rightfully so. I just wanted to give that, that dichotomy for all the reflectionites. There is a good cage match, and there's also a bad cage match. TW gave his examples of a good Tower of Doom, maybe, and there are a bad Tower of Doom. We have... There's a good Tower of Doom? What? was still a good Tower of Doom. I'm sorry to say that. I'm just saying. But anyway, neither here nor there. Your homework excitement, TW, is to watch Lethal Lockdown I'm at, your early, at your earliest oh, convenience. Way, funny thing. Uh, so Honky Tonk Man obviously always is an Elvis impersonator when you think of what he is. Okay. It never occurred to me until watching Austin Idol versus Jerry Lawler in 1982. Is that what 87. That was? 84, 87. 80, oh, 87. Yeah, yeah, 80, 82 was Backlund and uh, Snooker. Jerry Lawler is 100% wearing a Honky Tonk Man outfit in this match. It's the powder blue with the Mm -hmm. one shoulder strap. And I just thought, holy shit, Honky Tonk wasn't there to be an Elvis impersonator. He was there to impersonate Jerry Lawler, the king of Memphis Mm -hmm. and the king of rock and roll. It's just like Dusty, uh, or not Dusty, Virgil being called Virgil and then Vincent. It's, I think, and the fact that he was his cousin to boot, I think it was a shot at Lawler. To have, I didn't ever, never, ever would have thought that in my life, but I remember reading the aftermath. Jerry Lawler was not happy about Honky Tonk Man's character in WWF. And now I understand because he dressed just like him. And what mm-hmm. move did he do all the time? Shake, rattle, and roll. Uh, and the fist, too. The off fist. The top. He, no, he no, did the first. everything Lawler did, right. and I never, ever put it together until I mm-hmm. saw this match, Austin Idol. And I, I think, I, I don't know if we ever said, the whole thing was Lawler never lost a hair match, and he lost it and got his head shaved in the ring. I did say he lost it because of outside help, but they shaved his head in the ring. And I actually mm-hmm. thought to myself, this is refreshing because, A, a baby face got his head shaved. That's that's not very common. And he lost. Mm-hmm. You know, not right. just you get your head shaved because you got jumped, but he lost his match, 
and then got his head shaved. So mm-hmm. I wanted to add that in there because we got all over the place because I digress. But yeah, uh, I, I never did the math that Honky Tonk Man's look and everything, other than the pompadour, was really stealing everything from Jerry Lawler. Now I understand why Lawler was mad. Was it a rib? I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll never know. We have to ask Vince McMahon. It was a theft. Oh, it's not a theft. Well, neither oh, here nor there. You come here. How about we get your cousin up here instead? And he got over. He got. Yeah, he uh, did. And it was Vince McMahon who got him over. So you know. With that being said, Reflectionites, we hope that you enjoy this special spotlight called Steel Cage Carnage on the PWSL Networks at Podbean.com. TW, give out that treat for all the Reflectionites. Those social medias. Boats and hoes. Um. Mm-hmm. The Pro Wrestling Coalition Network hosts us these days also. So we got to give them a shout-out at pwcnetwork at podbean.com. Our show on Twitter is at pwreflection. Um, Big Ray, can't do it without him, uh, at Big Ray Hernandez. My Twitters are at TommyWonder19, which is my original one that I uh, I got a nice doozy. I'm up to 14 likes and, and a retweet on it because I had a nice little burn on this stupid lady that had the dumbest response to something I ever saw, but if you want to read it, you got to go read my Twitter. She, she's uh, a liberal. She's a liberal. I know. 1,000%. And she's the, they, the, those, I'll, A-E-I-O-U's, whatever. Uh, at the Tommy Wonder, I'm going to get, I'm going to get Cara Dooned, but uh, at, at the Tommy Wonder is my non-political uh, Twitter, facebook.com backslash Tommy Wonder is my Facebook. Snapchat is number wonder. Um, dumb dumb duel and an idiot on YouTube. We've been slacking. Either I've been sick or one of us or all of us have been out of town. And then of course Big Vito, uh Big Vito brand and then patreon.com backslash the big veto brand. Him and his wife are always helping us out, tweeting us out on Twitter and and, and help helping us get a bigger following. So we appreciate all those guys. Absolutely. And again, shout out to Greenpeace, the Iron Lung, for giving us this idea for the Steel Cage Carnage show. And of course, you can find me on my Twitter at PWSOPROF. That's PWSOPROF. Hopefully, this episode of the PWSO, uh, the Pro Wrestling Reflection, will be on the YouTubes on the PWSO networks. And of course, follow my guys, my brothers in arms, 8 Track Dashley, the king of the reactions at well, 8-Track Brown, the king of the reactions, at 8-Track Dasterly. And, of course, the man with the documents, the man who has the proof of everything that this world is going to the shitter, Billy Ray Valentine at ob one You Know Me. And, of course, for the official Halloween, we will be off because that's the treat I'm giving TW, you know, so he can go in costume, meet the Ultimate Warrior, and get all the candies on the official <laughs> Sunday of Halloween. So we will not, we will be uh, back on the on the pod beans the week after Halloween for that and we will and again I don't know what we're gonna do I think we're gonna go maybe to the movies TW maybe we'll do that or maybe we'll do I had an idea I had an idea and I also wanna I think it's A-Trek Brown he popped me on your hustle page today with the what if I think it was him. I hope if it wasn't. Oh, what if Shonuff had the Infinity Stone? Had the Infinity Gauntlet. I, I I laughed for a good five minutes when I saw that picture. That is a funny. Who's that the was... master? Shona. But uh, he said, "Give us the what if we all want or whatever." But that was good. But I, as I'm watching these cage matches, it dawned on me, and it's mostly with one glaring exception. I thought mm-hmm. I don't know how we would do it, and obviously this is just spitballing. But I'm saying it on the air, so if anybody's interested interested in us doing it, give us feedback. But replacement players right so mm-hmm. you got the skyscrapers sid got replaced with the undertaker 
Um, right. In hindsight, that's a pretty big switch. But in, at the moment, how was it? Um, the Freebirds got rid of Buddy Jack, put in Jimmy Garvin, and then added Terry Gordy back to it. Uh, Midnight Express was Dennis Condry and Stan or uh, Bobby Eaton, and then Stan Lane. So almost like uh, uh, comparing the old versus the new version. Um, and then the only right. and the Crush. Horseman, obviously Crush uh, with Crush the, uh, and Demolition. Demolition and the wasn't he with the Road Warriors? And with but the 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 one thing. Well, I guess that is a WWE. That's a good one though. I think Crush made Demolition better. Plus he joined. When they were still mm-hmm. three, you know, not no, but I get what you say. Replacement um, players on, on great gimmicks that already work. I the get worst you. one ever, I think, off the top of my head is Lee Cassidy replacing Shawn Michaels and the New Rockers. No, but, it's, but you, it's Paul. You it's told. Paul Roma being in the Four Horsemen. That's what it was. Oh no, no, I meant WWE. There's a, there's, oh. it's demolition in that one, or or. Um, but we're wrestling. We're we're a wrestling pro uh, podcast. We got to talk about all of them. We got to talk about everybody. No, no, you can talk sure, about the friend. Trying to think of. Uh, Damn it! You made me mess up because I because I was thinking of one that happened in WWE where they replaced somebody in a in a camp. Uh, the Orient Express was was Paul Diamond at the mask, Kato, and then got replaced mm-hmm. by um, Saido. I think was his name, Mr. Saido, or whatever. The other way, the other way around. Saido oh, was first. Got replaced by Paul Diamond. Yeah, but, mm-hmm. bad company. Tanaka and Diamond were bad company. Then they became. Oh, he just joined them in WWF after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I mean, there's there's lots of of, of replacement guys that t- took people's spots, and and I just thought, man, there's a, there's a lot of them. Like, there's enough. Like, you know, we can spot we can we, we can do a spotlight on replacement players and, and gimmicks that worked, and see how the A and and B's of repla- of gimmicks. We can do that Heidenreich. kind of spot. Heidenreich, Heidenreich as, worse you know, than Leaf Cassidy or, <laughs> or Draz and the uh, Road Warriors. We could talk. Yeah, about Draz that. was the Road Warrior, but so mm-hmm. was Heidenreich. He, they both were Road Warriors. I, I don't want to acknowledge that one. That I know, was a bad one. But anyway, Man, I, damn it, a, there was one that I had because DX. It was Sean, Triple H in China, and Rick Rude, and then it was Triple H, the New Outlaws, and and X Pac in China, mm-hmm. and Rick Rude, not Rick Rude. But there's lots of them, man. There's just tons of them, and it's just like wow, mm-hmm. it's it's amazing how many different you know, uh, Roderick Strong joining the Ultimate uh, or Ultimate. Und- we were both wrong, by the way. He didn't what? go there and start another group with the that letters U E. Eh, um, it is what it is. But you know what? He, save he, those, save those thoughts. Write them down and give it to the professor, and then we will see what we can do with that. It's a good concept for a future spotlight, maybe at the end of the year. Replacement players and gimmicks that work. But anyway, I'm the professor. That's Mr. Wonderful TW saying good night and happy Halloween. We'll see you the week after. Trick or treat, reflectionites. <laughs> boats, boats and hoes. It's all about the boats, boats and hoes. Right.